We are continuing our series, Moving Forward. I almost said it wrong again. We're continuing our series, Moving Forward, and this morning's message is called Plugged In. Uh, if you've missed the first two messages, I really encourage you to go back and listen. The first one we talked about, it, it got, Jesus called us to go out, that we are not supposed to stay comfortable here in the building, but that we're supposed to get out in our community. We're supposed to reach out to those who are far from him and draw them back. I gave you six simple words to remember. Does anyone remember what those six words are? Anybody? Nope. Good. I'm so glad. That was, such so memorable you should come to my church. church thank you you should come to my church you don't have to know everything about the gospel to invite someone to church and then last week we talked about come and see and it was a call for us to get involved and i said that if you could commit to once a month that would be huge in helping us build up our Sunday morning service. It would help us build up our weekly ministries and our monthly ministries. Oh, just a note, as Red Verse is joining us, I forgot to say this earlier, it is family week starting tomorrow, so some of you got tomorrow off. Our kids have the whole week off, so we are postponing all of our regular weekly ministries, so there will be no small group this week, because I want you to spend time with your family. I know some of you are like, darn, but... You should really get together with your family, make the most of it. But we will do men's because men's is not regular. Men's is exceptional. And so we are still doing men's night, Thursday night. So everyone is, in, all the guys, not everyone, all the guys are invited to men's night, Thursday at 7 o'clock. <clears throat> but this morning, as I was preparing this morning, I, does anybody else here uh, like, like comic books or superheroes? Anybody else kind of into any of that? Everyone's looking at me like I'm weird. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm a nerd or a geek or whatever I have to be. I love a good superhero story. I love a good superhero movie. I am every producer's favorite audience member because everyone else will complain about a movie and I will enjoy it. I like everything. Your movie has to be pretty bad before I will criticize it. And there's, only, there's a few that come to mind. I'm like, yeah, that was, that was a bad movie. But I really enjoy a good superhero movie. And I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the character. Maybe it's the superpowers. Maybe it's the being exceptional. But you, you kind of get lost in it. Because the stronger the superhero gets, the more creative the authors have to be to create a supervillain that's going to match it. If you read anything about Superman, Superman is a ridiculously strong, and so his villains are matching him toe for toe, and it's just like, eh, regular people don't even register in the comics anymore, and yet somehow they have this rule that Batman always wins. I don't know why, but Batman always wins. Um, but I, I love superheroes, I love comics, I love, I just... I get lost in it. So to kick it all off, first question for you, you probably saw this coming. Who is your favorite superhero, and why are they the best? Anybody bold enough to throw one out here? Everyone online, throw it in the comment section, but everyone in-house. Anybody? Batman, because he always wins. Batman, because he always wins. It's true. It's true. Huh? Black Widow. That's a good one. That's a good one. Anybody else? One more. Just... That's a villain. Spider-Man. Sp 
Spider-Man, there you go. Green Goblin was the, what was thrown out at first, but that's the bad guy. We don't, we don't want to be like him. Well, I mean, you could like the villain, I guess, but then you need to book counseling with me. Anyways, um, <laughs> really come see me if you like the villains. Um, Spider-Man, there's so many to choose from, and then you can get outside Marvel and DC. There's just endless opportunities and guys to pick from. But the reason I wanted to start there is because when you look at these superhero, and there's so many superhero movies out right now, before Marvel lost its mind and produced like 80 year or whatever they're at now, you had like three options. There's Batman, there's Superman, and there's Spider-Man. And it was always a different actor doing one of them. It always meant the movie ended up being different, but at least you had the three. Now you can, it's just, ugh. Somebody at... Our last church once wanted to do a Marvel, they wanted to watch every single Marvel movie from start to finish, and this was just before Endgame came out. They literally had to book the church for like a weekend, and they didn't stop. They just watched these movies all the way through, because there's so many movies, there's so much content. Some of them were like trying to decide which movie they wanted to sleep through, because that's how ridiculous this marathon was going to be. The reason I start here is because I think sometimes this idea of superheroes and being exceptional and superpowers can start to affect the way that we read scripture. In fact, somebody went out of their way and they took the Bible and they turned it into an actual comic book. You can read through, you can literally buy it. It's called the Action Bible. If some of you like pictures more than words, it's probably the Bible for you. Um, but they literally took every single story, and it's not like the cheesy children's Bible that I grew up with. This is actually something that Marvel would probably produce or something. Um, but as you read through these stories, and you look at the amazing things like the Red Sea being split, or the, well, I got a couple of examples for you. This is just out of the book of Acts. So these are some stories, some miraculous things that happen in the Bible that are just absolutely mind-blowing, mind-boggling. Acts chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Now Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to take alms of those entering the temple. So somebody has figured out that we have this guy, this cripple who can't walk, and we're going to put him at the gate, and he's going to beg, because we're going to make some money off of this guy. How twisted is that? He can't get there himself, so he's got people there who are probably taking a cut of everything he's getting, and they're dropping him at this gate and saying, you've got to beg for money. You've got to beg basically for your food. It's just wrong. And seeing Peter and John... About to go into the temple, he, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the hand, by the right hand, and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. 
And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This could have gone so wrong, right? The guy is there. He has his ankles and his feet are deformed from birth. The guy has never walked. And Peter grabs him by the hand and pulls If he would have fallen on his face, we never would have heard this story. But Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit in all confidence, grabs the guy by the hand, pulls him up, and not only are his feet and ankles healed, but he instantly knows how to use it. Now that is the miracle, we probably missed that part of this miracle. It's not enough that his feet and his ankles suddenly find strength and suddenly he can stand and walk and be strong on them but he's never walked before and suddenly he's not just walking but he's jumping and he's leaping and he is praising god what an astounding miracle like that's huge chapter five we see peter at work again now many signs and wonders were regularly being done among the people by the hands of the apostles and they were all together in solomon's portico None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so they, that they even carried out the sick to the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. His shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Now, why would they come to let the shadow fall? Because it doesn't say people are being healed by the shadow falling. They're just bringing them to the streets, hoping the shadow, because it had to have happened at least once. If it happened once, it probably happened again. But we read in the Gospels how that one woman felt like she just touched the hem of Jesus' cloak. This is a step further. She's not even touching his cloak. They just want his shadow to fall on them, believing that they're going to be healed of their sickness and their infirmities, that these unclean spirits be taken from them. This is, we're now getting into the realm of absolutely borderline unbelievable. Like, this is crazy. I don't know anybody else, but my shadow hasn't done anything crazy other than shield my children. Like, that's as far as, not just my children, most people will hide behind me because I'm a good sunbreak. But no one's getting healed hiding in my shadow. Uh, chapter 19. Crazy story about Paul. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Achoo! Take this to the hospital, and someone's going to get healed. Like, handkerchiefs and aprons that had just merely touched his skin were being taken to those who were sick, and they were finding healing. This is crazy! Again, you know, leave it to someone, leave it to some crooks to try to figure out how to make money off of this. There was actually televangelists who were trying this. You can buy this cloth for $100. We've had 100 people pray for it. It's going to heal you. Bah, don't fall for that. If it really was that, you wouldn't be charging money for it. 
things that had touched Paul were being sent away, touching the sick, and the sick were being healed. And the last story I have for you from Acts is Paul again doing amazing things, chapter 28. And after they were brought safely through, they have, Paul has been in prison, he's been taken to Rome, and he is shipwrecked, and they're concerned that people are going to die in the shipwreck. Paul's getting to be an old man at this point, so how in the world is he ever going to survive something like this? But it says that they were shipwrecked, and they, brought, they were all brought safely through when they learned that the island was called Malta. So there's an island off in the distance, they start swimming. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them in on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. This can't be good. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. And the people are expecting Paul to drop dead at this point. This snake is unbelievably poisonous. We have no idea exactly what it is. But obviously, they just assumed that it was game over for Paul. However, he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But when he had, they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Uh-oh, that turned quickly. <laughs> Not something Paul would want. But miraculous, unbelievable. These people, were the natives, were expecting him to do something. This snake had bitten him. This snake was bad news. And he's fine. He's some holes where the snake bit him, probably. But that was about it. He shook the snake into the fire. And when we read this kind of stuff, we read through the Old Testament about Elijah calling down fire that consumes rocks and Moses splitting the sea. And the list goes on and on of these miraculous things that God's people read, did and performed all in the name of God, all in the name of the country, all in the name of God's chosen people. And not only the people of the Old Testament, not only the people in Acts and everyone after, but then you get to the Gospels and you read all that Jesus did. And all the things that Jesus did in those four books, John says that actually if everything Jesus accomplished while he was on earth was written down, there wasn't enough water in the sea to make the ink. There's not enough paper on the earth to record every miracle Jesus performed in his three years of ministry, and we read through Scripture, and we see these amazing things happening, and it starts to get real easy to think that it's all fake. It starts to feel like a comic book, and we start to just, uh, oh, they were either exceptional, they were, they were set apart, that, whoa, what happened to my... <laughs> course i'm getting fired up and the slides go crazy <laughs> never fails <laughs> we read through scripture and this is we read through the bible and we look at it and we know it's the book we know it's the word of god we know that this is all true because everyone's ever told us it's true there's history to back it up but we don't read it like god's word we don't read it as something that's inspirational we read it like it's a comic book 
We read that Peter was some superhero who just had it all figured out and he was going to do amazing things, but I could never be like Peter because Peter was special. We read, oh, Jesus, well, Jesus did all those things because he was God. So, of course, he's going to do amazing and miraculous things, but it could never apply to me. We read about Elijah, and we read about, even though Elijah, through the course of his story, had huge problems with depression, questioned his own call, questioned his own ability to do what God had called him to do, but because he called down fire like it was going out of style, which is like, oh, he was exceptional, he was special, God loved him more maybe, or, oh, we are in the wrong part, jump down past the scripture, please, go to question two, there you go, here, found yourself wondering if the stories in scripture were true. Have you ever felt like you were reading a comic book? Have you ever felt like these people were doing all these miraculous things? They're like, did this really happen? Did Jesus really feed 5,000 people with seven loaves and two fish? Did Jesus really feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish? Did Jesus really... Was Paul really bitten by this viper? Or did they, you know, it was dark and they didn't really get good light and it was just a garter snake? Like, you know, like... And as I was thinking about this, I realized that it's easy to just disregard everything that's happening in Scripture as they're special, this is just exceptional, this is just another book to be read. It's because if it's all true, if everything that was written about these people and the miracles they performed and the healings that happened, if it's all true, then the next logical question is why don't we see it more? Why don't I see miraculous things at work in my life? Why don't I see prophetic things happening in my life? Why don't I see, and maybe not just in my life, but we extend it to the church, why don't I see it at church more? Why don't I see people come in in a wheelchair and walk out pushing it themselves? If it's true, the question is, why don't I see it more and i know that in some countries they see it a lot there are countries where we are getting reports of people being raised from the dead we're getting reports of people that are experienced miraculous healing right on the spot and it's amazing so the question is if it's happening over there why isn't it happening here the really interesting thing is when you get to the end of mark jesus is on getting ready to ascend and he's giving the apostles his last instructions to them and he says right at the end of mark that he expected that all who called themselves a disciple of jesus that this would all be commonplace he said that any disciple was ever bitten by a snake would not feel any ill effects and again leave it to people to really mess that up because you go down to the states and there's i don't even know what they're called snake handlers okay everybody pull out your rattlesnakes (laughs) i'm not going to that church He said that you'll be bitten by poisonous snakes and have no effect. You will drink poison and not die. He says that you will pray for the sick and they will be healed. Jesus didn't say that the exceptional would do this. Jesus didn't say a few of you would do this. He just said, my disciples will do this. 
And we get to the question, we're like, why? Why did we only hear about Peter doing these things? Why do we only hear about John doing these things? Why do we only hear about Paul doing these things? If Jesus has expected all of us to do it, why are there only the exceptional few? And why do we see it less and less? And it opens up a whole world of questions that we, we really need answers to. Why? Why don't we? But... We're scared to take there because if we ask why too often, eventually we're going to come around and why don't I see it? Why am I not doing these things? All of a sudden there's an expectation that maybe I need to change something. And this is the part of the message where I would like to go sit down and someone else preach it because I need to hear this part just as much as anybody else. Paul says this to the Corinthians. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Earlier in chapter 2, Paul says that I set out not to be someone of persuasive speech and elegant elegant words, but I wanted it, I came showing signs of God's power because that was a better thing for your faith to be built on. And he continues and he says this again. I'm going to put it up because I like this verse and I want it all to get stuck for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk and yet we just keep talking about it. We just talk about the kingdom. We just talk about why people need to be a part of it. We just talk about why. But we, Paul says that's not the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be this matter of power. The question is where is the power? And it brings us to the other big focus that we're going to have this year at One Church. I'm convinced that one of the reasons that we don't see these things at work more, and one of the reasons I don't experience it in myself more, is because we as God's people don't pray enough. I know I just spent an entire month of January harping on the fact that we need to be hearing God's voice and why it's so important. So I'm going to bang that drum one more time, and you're going to hear it lots this year. That we need to be a people of prayer. Because if we really want to be effective, and we really want to experience this power that Jesus wants to pour out on us, we're going to have to be connected to the one that the power comes from. We're going to have to be connected to the one who empowers us to do amazing things. And for us, power doesn't necessarily look like healing. Because sometimes it takes a lot of power to not rearrange somebody's face who's frustrating you. There's a lot of power there. So in a sense, you've healed them. Except you just skipped the healing part and you just didn't hurt them in the first place. It takes a lot of power not to speak talk back. It takes a lot of power to love someone who's frustrating you. It takes a lot of power. But I don't want us to stop there. I don't want us to stop at being peaceful when it's hard. I don't want us to stop at just being loving of those who are difficult to love. But the, Imagine if you could walk into a hospital, visit someone who's sick, and they're just not sick by the time you're done visiting them. Imagine if Sunday morning when we stop after the worship, that time of prayer, and all the names of people I can think of that are hurting right now, and as we are praying for them and we're believing that they could be healed, every single one of them got healed. Imagine that happened this morning. 
Imagine of all the people who aren't at church right now because they're sick and they're hurting, they're not able to get here. Next Sunday they're here because God did something amazing in their life and they were healed. That would be exciting. I want to be part of that church. I want to be on that prayer list. But it can't just be the paid staff doing the praying. It's going to take all of us. It's going to take a team. It's going to take a family. And it's going to require us to not just pray the vending machine prayer, but it's going to require us to be in relationship with the God who loves you more than you could ever imagine, loves those people that you're praying for and crying out to him on behalf. He loves them more than you do. And it's not just physical healing. It's not just emotional healing. But the biggest thing we need to be praying for, we need to be praying for the spiritual healing of our communities. Because there are a lot of people in Carlisle. There's a lot of people in Redverse. There's a lot of people in our province and our nation who don't know Jesus. And they are hurting. And they have a need that they don't know how to fill. They are feeling... They may be feeling lost, they may be, fe- they may be hurting, they may be feeling alone. And there's a cure. There's a cure for everything that's wrong in our country. There's a cure for everything that's wrong in our family. There's a cure for everything that's wrong in our world. And it's Jesus. But it's going to require us to be people of prayer to get Jesus where Jesus needs to go. I once read a book that said, what if the world is the way it is because God's people don't pray? Oh, that's humbling. What if the world is the way that it is because God's people refuse to pray for it? One of the things I've been reading about as we get ready for this new year, and it's something that God's been stirring in me anyways, but it's nice to be, be thinking about something and have someone unrelated confirm what you're already thinking and they said the churches that have grown in the midst of COVID, and believe it or not, there are churches who grew despite all the restrictions, despite all the, all the ways the world tried to hold us back. There are churches that grew in the midst of the pandemic. And they said the one thing that set those churches apart from everybody else who struggled was that their prayer ministry wasn't all about us. It was all about them. It's not to say that they didn't pray for the sick within the church. It's not to say that they didn't pray for, those, for our own, but they were more concerned about praying for those who weren't here. I know this ties back to the go out, but it's more than go out. It's, it's God, I, I want you to draw them in. God, I don't know how to talk to my neighbor. God, I don't know how to talk to my coworker. God, I don't know how to, but you do, so help me. Soften their heart, prepare them so that I, when I say what I gotta say, they're willing to hear what I gotta, what they need to hear. We need to be, we need to be people of prayer. We need to be plugged into the one who can move mountains, who, who formed the earth and the sun and the stars by the power of his word. We need to stop just talking about church. We need to stop just talking about God and Jesus. And we need to start seeing his power at work in our lives, in our church, 
in our community because it's the only way we're going to see the change that God wants to see. The question is, how can you experience more of God's power in your life? It's one thing to say, sit here and be like, oh, yeah, I want to see more power, but the question is how? It might require some change. It might require a rearrangement of priorities. It might require just having a conversation with God saying, God, I... And it might be a different question. You might have to ask yourself, do I even want to see more power? Do I even want to see these amazing things happening through me? And for some of us, the question the answer is going to be no. Why? Because I might stand out. I might stand out in a crowd. I might, you know what? We talked about this last week. If you are a follower of Jesus and you are being obedient to all that God has commanded, you're going to stand out because God's going to bless you and set you apart from everybody else. If you're already set apart because of the blessing and the love that God's pouring out on you, you might as well be set apart because of the power that's at work in you. People should want to come to you and say, I want you to pray for me because for some reason when you pray, something happens. I want your church to pray for my because when you pray, something happens. <laughs> I believe, and this is not just one church, I believe that the church in North America is at a crossroads. If we continue to just talk about doing church, the church is going to die. We will not survive if we just keep talking about it. If we're going to turn everything around and we're going to start being the church that God wants us to be, it's going to require a little bit more power. It's going to require a little bit more authority. It's going to require a little bit more of God moving in our midst and using us in ways that are unexplainable and amazing and sets us apart from everything else that's going on. It's going to require us to look a little bit different. And it all starts with us being people of prayer. And if you don't know how to pray, the easiest thing to do is go to Matthew 6 and pray the Lord's Prayer. And you don't have to pray it word for word, but it hit those themes. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. God, you are so worthy of worship. Your name is above every other name. Hallowed, worshipful your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A surrendering of our will to say, God, what I need your direction, but it's not just to accomplish what I need done, it's going to accomplish what you need done, because I want my will and your will to be aligned. God, direct me, lead me. Give us this day our daily bread that comes out of the Psalms where David is saying, don't give me so little that I hate you and don't give me so much that I forget about you, but just give me my daily bread. Give me enough to get through today to do all that you've asked me to do today. Give me my daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And we're going to touch on this next week. But basically, God, forgive us. And as you have forgiven us so abundantly and so freely, help us to forgive others. Sometimes that's the most powerful thing we can do and it's not the easiest, but it's the most necessary. God, 
forgive me and help me forgive those who have hurt me. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, help me to not... God, help me put to death my sinful desires. God, help me put to death those temptations and those addictions that hold me back. God, help me to honor you and to remove all those things that do not belong. God, help me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray these prayers. And God, I pray, pray that we would get lost in prayer. that we would become men and women who just become so reliant on you, so dependent on you, on your directing, on your power, on your presence, on your word. God, that we would just... God, for lack of a better word, I want... I, my prayer for us is that we would be we would be addicted to you, God, that we would be so dependent on you that we can't get enough, that all day long we would meditate on your word, all day long that we would be praying because you call us to be pray, to pray without ceasing, God. God, help us. Help the stories of Scripture not be exceptional, but to become the norm in our life, that we would do amazing things for you because you love everyone around us. You love these people, and God, stir in us a greater love. God, help us to pray for our community. Teach us what that means. Do it as we go. May our hearts and our minds be sensitive to what you want to say. May we walk with you in the confidence of knowing you're there and that you've empowered us to do what only you can do through us. I pray this in your mighty name, Lord Jesus. Amen.